Romans chapter 1, verses 13 through 18. Paul says, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, as you remember from last week where we ended up, Paul's desire was to reap some harvest among them. But his desire, as we looked at last week, was twofold. And the part we looked at the most last week was the fact that he wanted to have them give him some financial assistance on his way to Spain. Jump back to Romans 15, verses 22 through 29. Let me just kind of refresh your memories to that. Romans 15, verses uh, 22 through 29. Here again, Paul kind of explains that his desires that they would help him financially on his way to Rome. And that's why he says in verse 22, This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When I therefore have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. And I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. So again, like he said in verse 24, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. So we looked at last week, a part of his desire to reap a harvest was to get some financial assistance on his way. But there's another reason. Paul's desire also, though, was that he had a desire to preach the gospel where it was fresh and a desire to see a harvest of souls coming to Christ. The harvest that he also wanted to reap was of people coming to know Jesus. If you've been wondering, every time we've gone back and look at Romans 15, 22, where he says, this is the reason why I've so often been hindered from coming to you. Some of you have probably been wondering, well, what is that reason that he's been hindered from coming to him? Well, go back to verse 14 in chapter 15, and you'll see Paul's heart, Paul's calling on his life. In Romans 15, verses 14 through 21, he says to the church in Rome, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offspring of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, to bring the Gentiles to obedience." by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Elycrium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is, as it is written, 
Those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Paul's heart was to go and preach the gospel where people hadn't heard the gospel. That was his desire. That was his calling. The church in Rome, as he's explaining to them, was a church that was pretty well established. God had done a work there. Word had spread. And so he had been hindered from coming to them, although he'd wanted to go to this church that he'd heard about, on his way to Spain especially. He had kind of not gotten there because there were other places that still needed to hear the gospel that he felt God was calling him to go to. Now it's come to a point where he's realizing, okay, those doors are shutting and it's time for me to go to Spain and I'm going to go to Jerusalem first and I'm going to you know, hand off that offering that's been collected for the poor saints in Jerusalem and then I'm going to go on my desires to go on to Spain by way of you guys in Rome. And so he goes, I want to see a harvest, not just a financial harvest to help me on my way to Spain, but also a harvest of souls. That's what I'm, my heart is. And like I shared with you, the Bible is very, very clear that in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, and we're going to just deal with the first part of that section, God says that he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. God's called many different types of men to actually do the work of the ministry. Some are apostles. We've dealt with before that there's no more capital A apostles, which those capital A apostles were taught by Jesus face to face and they were proved by the signs and the wonders and the miracles. But as you see in that passage I just quoted to you, God's plan was that the church would have apostles still. The word apostle means sent one, one sent on a mission, kind of like what my ministry is, where I travel around to churches on the, around the country and equip them and teach them the word of God. And some are called to be prophets, and those are preachers, and those are really gifted preachers. But then there are others who are called to be evangelists, and some are called to be shepherds and pastors and teachers. And there's all different types of pastors, and I'm not going to chase this very much, but I just want you to understand, God never intended one guy to be all that. But over the years, unfortunately, we in our churches have had the mindset that the pastor of our church needs to be all that. And that's why so many people get upset with their pastor because, oh, he's a really good preacher, but he doesn't visit enough. He's not very concerned with my problems. Or you'll have a guy that's really good shepherd and discipler, and he was there when mama died, and he's a wonderful man, but I'm just not getting fed. Or you've got an evangelist for a pastor, and People are getting saved, and then you start hearing people say, well, I think the pastor cared more about me when I was lost. Listen to me. There's all different calls. I started to really enjoy ministry once I realized God has a call on my life, and if I just do what God's called me to do, and not what the church job description is written, I'm going to be happier. And I want you to be the same thing, not just if you don't have to be a preacher, but whatever it is God's called you to do, go do it. Enjoy it. And don't worry when other people say, well, you ought to be involved in this ministry too, and you ought to be involved in this ministry too. Paul had been called by God. It was his burden to travel and preach the gospel where his foundation hadn't been laid yet. The calling on my life is to go where Christians already know the Lord and take them deeper and help them grow in their walk with the Lord. And Paul said, I want to see a harvest, not just financial, but also of souls. Now, as we saw last week, this gospel is for everyone. Jew and Gentile, and always has been. And I want to kind of illustrate that for you by taking you with me to Luke chapter 4. And let's go back to something Jesus said when he was in his hometown of Nazareth and teaching in the synagogue. In Luke chapter 4, 
Look at verses 22 through 30. Luke chapter 4, verse 22. And as he's just read from the prophet Isaiah and said the scripture's been fulfilled in your hearing today. In verse 22, all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless you'll quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. We have heard what you did at Capernaum. Uh, do it here in, in your hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel uh, in the time of the prophet Elisha. And none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. Now when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built. So they could throw him down from the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. So Jesus, as he's teaching in the synagogue, and he says, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. They're like, yeah, you're claiming to be the Messiah. You're claiming to be somebody impressive. Let's just start. Let's see some more miracles before we believe in you. And he goes, actually, I'm going to point something else out to you. He says, you guys think that the gospel's only for you or, or the kingdom's only about you. Remember back when Elijah was prophet and God, through prophet Elijah, stopped the rain for three and a half years? He actually sent him to go take care of a Gentile widow. Oh, and when Elisha was prophet after him and God used him to heal Naaman, he was a Syrian. And he didn't even heal Jews during that time. And they were so mad at him saying that the kingdom was for the Gentiles too. They tried to kill him. But the scripture has been very, very clear that the gospel of salvation has been available to Gentile and Jew all along equally. But the scripture just says here that Paul said salvation I'm not ashamed of the gospel if it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So we got to deal with that. If, Jim, what you're saying is true and that the gospel's for everyone, Jew and Gentile, and always has been, if the gospel's for everyone and always has been, how is the gospel for the Jew first then? Well, you got to stop for a second and think. Does anybody know when the first preaching of the gospel happened? The first time the gospel was even mentioned in the Bible? Very good. Yeah, well, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 is what the Greek term in the, the seminary term is, the proto-evangelium, or the preach, first preaching of the gospel. Listen to what it says here. It says, God says to Satan that a seed of the woman is going to crush your head. Starts talking about the one that's going to come and defeat Satan. Now, were there Jews at that time? No, there actually aren't Jews until many, 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 many years later when God reveals himself to Abraham and says, I'm going to make a mighty nation out of you. And he begins to reveal more. As you already have said, he's been also on top of that revealing through creation and many other ways. We'll get to that in the next few weeks when we get into the rest of chapter one and chapter two. So how is it first to the Jew, but also to the Greek if it's been for everyone? Well, here's the first thing I want you to see. Does it say in your scriptures, first to the Jew and second to the Greek? What does it say? And also 
to the Greek. So first to the Jew and also to the Greek. Now, the second thing I want you to see is that this gospel was through Israel. It was through Israel and that God's gospel would be revealed and accomplished. It's actually that even though it's been available to both Jew and Gentile all along, he's given Israel some privileges and some responsibilities, and he's actually begun to reveal more of the gospel. We call it progressive revelation. He's begun to reveal more of the gospel to the nation of Israel along with the rest of the nations, but Israel's been given some privileges. We can't deny it. Now, I'm going to stop for a second and say something to you that you need to hear. I don't believe that Jesus died only for the people that, that are going to be saved. I believe the Bible teaches without question that Jesus died for everyone. It's, it's, it's one of the most provable things in Scripture. Yet at the same time, we cannot deny, if we're going to be faithful to the Word of God, that the Bible also says that God doesn't reveal Himself equally. That some people get more light, more revelation of who God is than others. And you can't deny it. Because the Bible, as we already talked about here, Jesus is saying, you know, hey, they said, we heard what you did in Capernaum, do it here. And he didn't. He even said if the miracles that had been done in Capernaum were done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. Well, we would then jump and say, well, why didn't God do those miracles in Sodom and Gomorrah? Because he chose not to. Jesus, in the famous passage we love to quote, to whom much is given, much will be required. The context is there are those who have received more light than others. You go back and look later on at Luke chapter 12, and you'll see right around in the 40s, Jesus talks about the one who knew his master's will but didn't do it, would be beaten with many blows. The one who didn't know as much but still did stuff worthy of punishment will be beaten with fewer blows. There's actually a level of judgment for those according to how much they've received, light they've received. And there's a, a, a judgment that's going to be measured for us according to how much God's revealed to us. And there are those that God has revealed more of himself than others. Everybody hears. Everybody has enough opportunity to be saved. Yet there are those that he's given more light. And one of those nations that has received more light besides America is Israel. Go with me to Romans chapter 3. Look at verses 1 and 2. Romans chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. He says, what, then what advantage has the Jew? He's been already laying out that the Jews have had some things revealed. Then what advantage has the Jew, or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. Jump over to Romans chapter 9. Here the scripture just said that the Jews had an advantage. Romans chapter 9 clarifies it some more. Look at verses 1 through 5. In Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 5, Paul says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. So, first off, they had privileges that other nations didn't have. And God, in His design, and His plan, revealed more to the nation of Israel than He did the Gentile nations. 
By the way, it's always been an interesting thing to me, and I don't know if you've ever caught this, but even as God was revealing himself to the nation of Israel, wherever they showed up, did you ever notice that the Gentile nations already knew what God was doing through them and they'd already heard all about it? Remember when the, the spies went to Jericho and, and, and Rahab says, oh, we've already heard about what God did through you guys to the two kings and how he dried up the river and the Red Sea. And even as God was revealing himself to the, the Jews, he was also still revealing himself to the Gentile nations. So they had privileges. And also, whether you want to accept it or not, Jesus' ministry was first to Israel. When Jesus came on the scene, who did he first reveal himself to? The Jews. Go to Matthew chapter 15. We're just going to look at verse 24. We're not going to take the time to get into that study of that whole story. But in Matthew chapter 15, verse 24, there's a woman who's a Gentile who's calling out to him. And he ignores her. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 24, Jesus says this. He says, I, wasn't, I was sent only to the lost sheep. Start again. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And interesting. We see even more of it if you go with me to Matthew chapter 10. Back up a couple of chapters to chapter 10. Look at what Jesus says when he sends his disciples out, his apostles out, two by two. In Matthew 10, verses 5 and 6. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Isn't that interesting? When he sent them out two by two, he said, Only go to the lost sheep of Israel. That's why Paul, in Romans 9, when we get there, and we're going to dive into that deeply when we get to chapter 9, deals with this whole concept of, well, it seems like God gets to pick how he does stuff. <laughs> yes, he does. And if he's chosen some vessels for honor and others for dishonor, he has every right to do that. Who are you, as the clay, can say to the potter, why'd you do it this way? And we have to humble ourselves and say, folks, God is God, and this is his world, and he gets to do it how he wants. I disagree strongly with those who think that God has gone to one side, and he's already predetermined some people are going to be saved, and these people won't even have a chance. That's not what the Bible teaches. Everyone has an opportunity. It grieves him when anybody goes to hell. Yet at the same time, if we're going to be faithful to the scripture, he gives some people more revelation than others. And you will be held in accountability for how much God's revealed to you. You still need to respond to the light that he's given you. And the Jews had privileges. And Jesus' first ministry was to the Jews. And not only that, salvation for the whole world came through what nation? The Jews. Go to John chapter 4. Go to John chapter 4. Now Jesus in this story is actually talking to a Samaritan woman. But I thought his ministry was the lost of sheep of Israel. And I thought he told his disciples, don't go anywhere except to the Jews. Don't go to the Samaritans. Well, he's God. You do what he says and you trust him. Yet you'll also find he's quite fair. He's quite fair. Roman, in John chapter 4, verses 19 through 26, the woman, the woman at the well, said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. 
Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will worship, uh, sorry, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. By the way, keep reading on what happens next. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I don't know if you all know this or not, but the first person that Jesus actually said, I am the Messiah to, was a woman who was a Samaritan. Is anybody getting a little confused? I thought it was to the Jews. I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. I thought he told them, don't go to the, anybody but the Jews, but no Samaritans, no Gentiles. Yet he goes to a Samaritan. And the first person he reveals himself to is a woman. And she's a, yes, he's God. And he gets to do it how he wants. And God does his work. And as you're hopefully going to see over time in our study of Romans, this gospel is the power of God for salvation. It actually is not tied to how well you say it, how articulate you are, how creative you are, your tricks to get people to all of a sudden get it. If you would just trust that if people are going to be saved, it's because God opened their eyes and just preached the gospel and believed that it's powerful enough by itself, you would be free to go tell people about Jesus because it's no longer tied to how good you do. It's tied to, I believe this is powerful and you need to hear it. And if you reject it, you reject it. If you receive it, it isn't because I did a good job. It's because God's opened your eyes. And that's all we're supposed to do. Go to Matthew chapter 1. Look at verse 1. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The Messiah came from the Jews, from Abraham and through David. Go to Romans chapter 11, verses 25 through 27. Romans chapter 11, verses 25 through 27. Lest you be wise in your own sight. Paul says, I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. That's the Israel that's left at the end of the tribulation. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Now, as regards the gospel, they're enemies for your sake, but as regards to election, they're beloved for the sake of their forefathers, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Hang on for a second. I don't know if you caught this yet or not. Salvation came through the nation of Israel, was revealed to them a lot more than the other nations, although the other nations had light. Not only did the, they have privileges and the, Jesus' ministry was first to Israel and then the salvation came through the Jews, because of their rejection, what has God done to the nation of Israel right now? He's what? He's hardened them, in part. Is it impossible for a Jew to be saved? No, but it's harder. Well, who determined that? God did. 
And we're in an age of grace in which those of us who didn't grow up with all the Judaism are being called by the Spirit of God to believe this good news. And there's going to come a point where he says, okay, the time for the Gentiles has come to an end. And he's going to finish what he promised and what he started for the nation of Israel. So in other words, it began with the nation of Israel and is going to wrap up with the nation of Israel. So beware of any kind of Christian teaching that says that there's no more Israel. The Israel is now the church and we've replaced them. That's not good teaching. The Bible is very clear. Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant. Israel's experienced a hardening in part till the full number of the Gentiles come in. And then what's left of Israel at the end of the tribulation is going to be saved. And he's going to come and finish in Israel and set up his kingdom in Israel. So when the Bible says that it's the first to the Jews and also to the Greek, it's always been also to the Gentiles but they did receive a lot more privileges, light, for a season. But who's been given those privileges and that light now? We have. Oh, when we get to the rest of chapter 1, you're going to see some very bad things for the United States of America. Because just as much as we'll be held accountable for how much light we've received, for many, many years the United States has been blessed to be a nation where we all probably have 17 Bibles in our house somewhere, like I probably do and you probably do, and Christian radio stations all over the place. And we've been sending missionaries all out, but over time, America's begun to reject God, and now missionaries are having to be sent here. And one day there's going to be a judgment, and it's going to be in accordance with how much God's revealed to us. We're in trouble, and we'll get to that when we get to the end of chapter 1, because the Bible says what the evidence of the judgment beginning looks like, and we'll get to that later. So God's good news, his gospel of salvation, that's for everyone, is only to be received by what? Faith. Very good. Go back to Romans chapter 1. Look at verses 16 and 17 and 18. Paul says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jews, they received a lot more light first, but it's also been to the Greek all along. For in it... The righteousness of God is revealed. In, in this gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. Now, if you have a study Bible, you might have a little note there. And if you go down to that note, it also could say what? Faith to faith. In other words, the Bible here is saying that God's salvation begins in faith and finishes and ends in faith. It's all to be done by faith. For it's written, and he quotes from Habakkuk. The righteous shall live by faith. Now, I'm going to chase something here in the time that we have left tonight that you kind of know, but you kind of don't. The gospel of salvation is more than just believing in Jesus, going to heaven. Actually, if you look a, do a study of the word salvation, you're going to find that your salvation has three parts. The Bible actually says that at the moment you trust Christ as your Savior, you are saved. Correct? But doesn't the Bible also say that you're being saved? And the Bible actually says that when Jesus comes, he's going to bring salvation with him. So which is it? Am I saved? Am I being saved? Or will I be saved? Yes. Salvation incorporates all of it. And the ones who are truly saved are the ones who will have faith all the way to the end. Oh, there are those who say they believe, but the Bible says in time it'll be proven they never did. But it's been begun by faith, and it finishes by faith. So, we are going to do a little study tonight of many passages you know well, 
But my prayer is that the Spirit of God will begin to even take you deeper in an understanding of these truths. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Many of you could probably quote this. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Let me read it to you again. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You've heard me talk about this before, but we're going to lay it out for you some more. The Bible, as we, when you get to Romans 3, not only says that there's no one righteous, verse 10, not, all, not even one. The very next verse says there's no one who understands and no one who seeks God. If you were left to your own devices, you would never search for God on your own. You would never do it. No one can come to the Father unless the Spirit draws them first. As I've already touched on in many ways, and we'll get into that in chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3, God does reveal himself to everyone in the world. Everyone has an opportunity to be saved. Everybody has a responsibility to respond to the amount of light God's given them. But God begins this process of opening your eyes. It's almost like a game of hide and seek, where God says to someone that's not even looking for him, oh, by the way, I'm here. Now you got to come find me. And that's how he begins his work in our hearts. He begins to prick us. He begins to, to, to draw us. But now we've been given a responsibility to respond to when he quickens us, if you will, and start to search, find out if it's true, and then come to faith by believing. Oh, but by the way, when you believe, is it because you were smarter than somebody else or because God gave you the ability to believe? God gave you the ability to believe. Folks, avoid any preacher that says one side or the other. The doctrine of God's salvation is this. Everyone who believes will be saved and gospel is available to everybody. On this side, it also says, if you believe, God did it, not you. How do they come together? I don't know. But they're both there. And if you are faithful enough to the whole of Scripture, you'll have to say, I don't know how God does it, but that's what his word says. I can give you a great way to set you free from trying to figure out how God does his salvation. How many of you believe in one God, the, Fa the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? One God, but three persons. Can anybody here that just raised their hand stand up tonight and explain how he's one God, yet three persons, and give us an illustration that works? Oh, and by the way, you can't use the Son. It's not a really good illustration. You can't use water with, the, with, with, with the frozen and liquid and gas. It doesn't really work either. You can't use an egg and you can't use apple or cherry pie and all these different things we try to come up with. If you did, I would blow them all up because they don't really work. But even though we don't know how he's one God, yet has always manifested himself in three persons and always will, even though we don't know how that works, we don't fight over it. It's faith. I'm going to say this to you as well. When it comes to salvation, stay out of the ditches. How God saves, stay out of the ditches. The Bible's clear that everybody has an opportunity and everyone will be held accountable to God. Let me give you a couple of scriptures that lays that out for you real quick. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 
And I meant to say 1 Timothy. First Timothy chapter 1. Listen to what it says in verse 15. This trust saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into where? To the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the first foremost. All right? So the other scripture says he came into the world to save sinners. We know John 3.16 says what? For that God so loved who? That he sent his only son. The Bible says Jesus died for all. And let me also take you to one more place here. Second Corinthians chapter five. That's where we're going. Go to Second Corinthians chapter five. Start in verse 18. 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Here's the ministry. Here's the gospel. That in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we're ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says in a favorable time, I listened to you in a day of salvation. I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Look at that. God was in Christ on the cross, reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them. In other words, at the moment of the cross, Jesus died for the sins of the world. The message of the gospel is, he's already paid for your sins. Be reconciled to God. Receive this free gift. If you don't, you have rejected the grace of God. Which, by the way, some will teach you that if God's grace is on you, you can't say no. Yes, you can. Stephen himself, when they were about to stone him, said, you stiff-necked individuals. Acts chapter 7, verse 51. You stiff-necked individuals, how long will you resist the Holy Spirit? You resist him just like your fathers did. Folks, the Bible's clear. Everybody hears. Everybody has an opportunity to be saved. And, but at the same time, if you believe, God did it. I'm not going to take the time to turn to have you go there. But if you were to go look at Acts 13, a very interesting thing happens. Paul goes into the synagogue and there's a lot of Gentiles there and he preaches the gospel and they're pricked in their hearts and they're curious. And they say, we want to hear some more next Sabbath. And Paul says something very interesting to them. He says, continue in the grace of God. In other words, God's begun to draw you. You need to stay in it. Yet if you read just a few more verses in that story, he comes back the next Sabbath and many believe, and this is how the scripture says it, and all those appointed for salvation believe. Oh, by the way, you're going to have some people on this ditch pull out that verse. You're going to have some people in the other ditch pull out the other verse. They're both there. Stay out of the ditches. And just like we can't explain how he's one God with three persons, we can't explain how he saves, but he does. 
and it's the power of God for salvation. But it starts by faith. Go to Romans chapter 3. Look at verses 21 through 26. Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So the righteousness of God is not received or achieved by obeying the law, but the law and the prophets point to it. The righteousness of God is through faith in who? In Jesus and the fact that he lived the sinless life. He died for your, for your sins on the cross. He rose from the dead, and He will give eternal life to everyone who believes. Go to Colossians chapter 2. Look at verses 1 and following. Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Paul says, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those that Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. By the way, I struggle like that sometimes, too, if people haven't gotten to see my face. But no, I'm kidding. You totally missed that joke. Nobody laughed. They didn't get it. All right. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, Now, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I'm absent in body, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and your firmness of your faith in Christ. It doesn't just begin in faith. You must continue in faith. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord. By the way, how did they receive him as Lord? By faith. So walk in him by faith. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority in him. You also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by the putting off of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, because of all this and the fact that you're in Christ and all of God's in Christ and all of Christ is in you and you've already been sealed, just continue in faith. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs 
to Christ. Stop real quick. I want to show hands. How many of you were raised in the church being taught that Sunday was the Sabbath and you couldn't eat out and you couldn't go golfing and you couldn't go? How many of you had all that? You were taught that you have to now follow these rules, even though the scripture says, don't let anybody judge you whether or not you keep a new moon festival or a Sabbath. Those are all a shadow of the true reality, which is Christ. And now that Christ has come, I actually obey the Sabbath every day that I rest in Christ. I cease working for my salvation and I'm resting in Jesus and I'm obeying the Sabbath because it was pointing to Jesus. Keep reading. These are shadow things to come, verse 17, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels. But asceticism is like harsh treatment of the body as you're about to see. Going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that's from God. By the way, as you're about to hear, and some of you may know, there are sects or branches, if you will, and I'm going to say of Christianity in quotes, that teach that they've had a further revelation, a vision from an angel, all these different things. And those branches of quote unquote Christianity, I don't think they're Christianity, I think they're cults will teach that you aren't allowed to do meat, you have to follow the laws of Moses still, you have to avoid caffeine, and there's all these different things that they say, if you're going to be a good Christian, you still got to go back to this legalistic obedience to these things. And it pulls you away from faith in Christ. Look at what it says in verse uh, 19. And not holding fast, sorry, 18. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism, worship angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, which is Jesus, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that's from God. If Christ, with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why as if you were still alive in the world do you submit to regulation? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom, in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they're of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. See, the gospel is not that you are saved by faith. The gospel is from faith to faith. The true believers receive Jesus by faith and walk with him by faith. And that's why the Bible starts getting into some Christians feel comfortable doing certain things, others don't. And they're both right. We sin when we start telling others, well, the things that I feel like God's leading me to do, you better do too. Or the thing God's wanting me to stay away from, you better stay away from too. No, that's why when we get to that, by the way, everything we're talking about is going to be dealt with in Romans. That's why when we get to Romans 14, who are you to judge the servant of another? Romans 14 actually even says anything that's not done by faith is sin. If you don't feel comfortable doing something and you feel the Spirit of God would not be pleased, you better not do it. But don't for a second say that your brother who's doing those things is sinning if they're not doing what you feel uncomfortable doing. We're going to get into all this stuff. But folks, listen, God wants us to walk with him, not follow a bunch of rules. Not to get up and say, Lord, I, you must be pleased with me today because I didn't do this and I didn't do that and I did these things. And all of a sudden, your faith is in your ability to keep the rules instead of on Christ. And you may even find that one day God says to you, I don't want you to do these things. And tomorrow he'll say, in this instance, it's okay. Lord, 
That doesn't make any sense. That's why you got to trust me. The same Jesus who said, don't go to the Samaritans, went and said to who? I am the Messiah, a Samaritan. Because in that instance, the spirit of the father was leading him and he walked in full obedience. That's why we got to be careful of gravitating to the rules. And the time we have left tonight, we're going to deal with why do we gravitate to the rules? We're going to come back to that. Go to Galatians chapter 3. Look at verses 1 through 9. By the way, a lot of preachers like to teach legalism because it makes it easier for us to control you. But we're not to control you. The Holy Spirit's supposed to be the one controlling you. We're supposed to be pointing you to the one who is the head. Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Of course, the obvious answer is by hearing with faith. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Here he says, here are some Christians who had come to faith in Jesus, but some false teachers had come in and say, okay, you believe in Jesus, but you still got to do these things, circumcision being one of them. And Paul says, look, if you're putting your faith in anything you've added to Jesus, you've been bewitched. It's, it's sorcery. You've got to trust Christ. Now, I've got to be honest with you. As we go down this road, and we're going to go into it a lot more as we get into Romans, you're going to find that there's an uncomfortableness that starts to happen because, as I touched on tonight, and we'll get into a lot more over the time, we gravitate toward, just tell me what the rules are. We want everybody else to have the same rules, and we're going to get to, before we close tonight, why that is. But I remember teaching grace, grace by faith at a church. The pastor came to me the second night. I was preaching it over a week. He came to me, and he said, I need to talk with you. I said, what's that? He goes, I know what you're teaching is true, but you can't tell them. I don't want you to tell them. I said, why? He goes, because they'll abuse it. I've finally gotten these people to work, and I've used controlling ways to get them to do stuff. And if they hear you say that they're under grace and they only get to do what the Lord tells them to do, they're going to get lazy and they're not going to work. And I don't want you messing up that I know what you're saying is true. Don't tell them. And I looked at this pastor and I said, you really think that God is impotent? Because if we really believe that he who began the good work in you will finish it, even if some of these Christians do get tempted to go down that road, Jesus will deal with it. And it's really not about how big your kingdom gets and how many people come here and how much work gets done. It's more about them growing in their walk with the Lord and they'll only grow by what? Faith. 
They won't grow by following your rules and being here every time you say and doing all the things and serving on every committee. You don't get closer to Jesus by doing that. You actually get further away. And the, full, the sad thing is you get thinking you're closer when you're actually falling away. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to get to what you were just talking about, though, Eric, and the fact that when Paul starts sharing and laying the gospel out in chapters 3 and chapter 4 and chapter 5 and so on, he's going to deal with that whole question. So do we continue to sin so we can get more grace? And Paul says those who are really saved, they won't even think that way. Exactly. He, yep, you're saved. And then verse 10, as you just talked about, he's the one who's not only given you the gifts, he works them through you and accomplishes the good works. You're right. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Again, let's look at it again. Very familiar passage, but let's look at it again now with this from faith to faith. It begins in faith, and it has to end in faith. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Some of you say the author and the finisher, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and it is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. By the way, did Jesus have a lot of people in his life who would come alongside of him and give him human wisdom? Satan himself even says, hey, just climb up on the pillar, the pinnacle of the temple, throw yourself off and they'll believe. Or all these different things. No, Lord, I'm not going to let you go to the cross. We're going to have another way. And Lord, if you would just do this, you can. And Jesus had to tune that all out and live the life and the role that the Father had for him. And I want to encourage you as we dive into Romans, allow God to keep encouraging you what it really means to live the gospel from faith all the way to faith. It begins in faith. And must end in faith. Let me say this to you as well. And I hope no one in this room are this way. And if you are, may by God's grace, you get set free from this. I have talked to many of an older person as they get closer to death. They're not on their deathbed, but some of them are. But some are just know that as we get older, we're getting closer to death. The odds are that we're a lot closer now than we were a few days ago, correct? And I've asked Christians, church members, are you looking forward to heaven? And you know how many times I have heard, I hope so? You'd be surprised how many people as they get to the end of their life actually become fearful. People that you would look at and say, that's a solid Christian. They've been in church every time the doors open and they get fearful. And they say, I hope so. I said, what do you mean you hope so? Well, I believe in Jesus, but I've been trying my hardest to do a good job. And they're wondering if they've done enough. I don't want that for you, my friends. It begins in faith. It ends in faith. So here's what we're going to wrap up with tonight. Why do we struggle so much with this? And why do we keep trying to earn God's approval? Because if you're really honest, I don't think there's anybody in here that can say, oh, I'm, I totally got this, Jim. I totally trust the Lord. I can promise you Everybody, including Jim Johnson, still gravitates toward thinking they have to do more to be pleasing to God. I know you have. We all feel that. Why? Why do we struggle with it when the gospel is so clear? Well, here's one of the reasons. 
Our flesh wants credit. Go to Galatians chapter 6. Look at verses 12 through 16. Galatians chapter 6, verses 12 through 16. Paul says, it's those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Look what we did. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for, all, as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. These people that are wanting you to follow their rules, they're wanting to boast in what they got you to do because our flesh wants credit. Husbands, if your wife doesn't know when you took the trash out or notice it as quick as you'd like her to notice it, don't you somehow hint? Hey, by the way, did you notice that's a brand new trash bag? We want credit. Our flesh wants credit. We know we're to be doing things just because of love and not wanting to be rewarded in this life and trusting that God's keeping track. But every one of us still wants credit. But there's more to it than that. You may not realize this. Or maybe you do, but it hasn't really sunk in. But your flesh that you still have, that is still decaying, it's at war with the Spirit. You're in a human body that is at war with the Spirit. Go to Romans chapter 7. Go to Romans 7. Look at verses 14 through 25. And I've wrestled with this passage for many years, and I have come to the strong conclusion Paul was writing about his experience after salvation. There's too many textual evidences that he's talking about after salvation. So look at what he says here in Romans 7, verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm of the flesh, sold under sin. I don't understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it's good. So now it is no longer something's happened. A transition has occurred. It is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members or body parts another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells within my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. In other words, Paul said, I have a battle going on. And let me just fill you in, Paul said. The things I want to do, I don't. Things that I don't want to do, I do. And I'm in a constant struggle. And the only one that's going to give me victory over this flesh is Jesus. You know why? Because he lived in a human body just like yours and mine. Wasn't tempted just in the areas you are, but tempted in all, every area, the Bible says. Yet without sin, he 
by the power of God and him being God, was able to say no to sin and defeat the flesh, and he knows how to do it for you and me. But he's designed it to be done on a daily basis. That's why Romans chapter 12 says that we're to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, a daily thing. The renewing of our mind is a daily thing. Why? Because this life is not just begun by faith, it is lived daily by faith. And that's why we have to not only say, Lord, thank you for saving me, but I also believe that, as you're going to show us here in our study of Romans, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead now lives within me, and you can give me victory over this mortal body, but I have to yield myself to you regularly to, for you to do it, and I believe you will. When we walk out of that understanding and try to defeat the flesh on our own, you're going to fail. You're going to fail. Let me give you one more scripture. Go to Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. We'll wrap up for tonight. Galatians 5, verses 16 and 17. You need to know that this battle is going on. Galatians 5, verse 16. Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against, are against the flesh, for those, these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. You're in a battle, and you have to acknowledge that. That's why Paul says in Galatians 2.20, he reminds himself, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. The life I now live, I live by faith in Jesus, the one who died for me. So we're going to deal with that when we come back as we get further on in Romans. Next time we gather together, we're going to take a look at the gospel and how it's been clearly portrayed through creation and all these things. And we're going to talk about the judgment that's coming and already begun on the United States of America and other nations as well. But for tonight, as we wrap up, please understand, don't be ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. Oh, yeah, the Jews got a lot more light than the Gentiles did at first. But it's always been also to the Gentiles. Oh, but this salvation is from faith to faith. It begins in faith. It ends in faith. And avoid trying to finish what God started in your own strength. He loves you. I love you. We'll see you next week. Well, two weeks from now. Thanks for coming.